About a dozen years ago, our family did something really fun. We went to the Everglades and got on one of those airboats. And uh, our kids just loved it. I loved it. Pam sort of loved it. And But you'd see all these crazy wild animals out there in the swamps, and, and especially alligators. There were alligators everywhere. And if you've ever, if you've ever gone to the Everglades, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And when we got back from this trip out in the swamp, we were out there for a couple hours, we came back. Uh, they pulled up, they docked up to this place that was like an alligator farm. It was uh, uh, kind of a showcase for all kinds of wildlife. They had uh, wildcats and, and snakes, and, but mostly alligators. And, and the thing was set up in all these little booths. And so you would just go from one thing to the next and see the next crazy animal or whatever. So I was there with uh, Rachel and I think Ryan and Robert, and we walked up to this one booth and there was this concrete basin filled with baby alligators. They were probably two feet long, something like that. And I asked this really stupid question, um, do baby alligators bite? And, and, and there was a young guy in there and a young girl, a uh, young lady, and, um, and the guy was like, well, of course they bite. They're ferocious. And, and, and he said, but I've been working here for 10 years, and I have never been bitten because you've got to know how to handle these creatures. You can't just do whatever you want. You've got to know how to handle them. You have to know, you got to let them know who's in charge. And, and, and he said, let me just show you. And he reached in, and he picked up one of these little alligators by the tail. And when he did, it just swiveled around and bit him on the arm. <laughs> And he, and he just started screaming, and he threw the alligator down, and he jumped over the front of the booth, and the last thing we saw and heard was this guy running across the parking lot screaming, I'm bit, I'm bit, I'm bit, and we were laughing so hard, and the funniest thing we ever saw, and I, I, I've never forgotten that, because some fear is not bad. I, in fact, there's a debate on, I don't know where I fall on this yet, but I don't think it really matters where I fall on it. Did God create fear? Um, I don't know. Uh, but I know this, that, you know, psychologists have said that when a baby is born, it only has two fears. The fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. If you've ever dropped a baby, you must. <laughs> We don't drop them here at that But if you ever put a baby down real fast, you know that they freak out. You know, they're, they're scared because they like to be held close. Um, if you've ever been holding a baby and someone walks into the room and makes a really loud noise, the baby's startled. But psychologists say those are the only two fears that we're really born with. But they also say that there are over 2,000 identifiable fears that people have. Not, not, of course, everybody doesn't have all the fears, but these are the different types of fears that exist. 2,000. So we have learned a lot of fear over time, haven't we? I mean, you know, we, we started with two, and now there are over 2,000. I, I wrote down um, some fears. And I'm going to give you the word. You can, we got a little interaction here. You can tell me what this, this fear is. Uh, arachnophobia. Fear of what? Science. Yeah, how many of you have that? Okay, a few of you. Um, claustrophobia. 
Small spaces. Small spaces, yes. Dentophobia. Fear of dentists. I have that. Glossophobia. Fear of public speaking. If you have that, stand up and just share with us. Okay. Um, this is one you should have. Pentherophobia. Fear of your mother-in-law. <laughs> Ecclesiophobia. Fear of the church. Be afraid. Okay, here's one. Anuptophobia. The fear of staying single. Nuptial, it is. This is nasty. Blenophobia. The fear of slime. Yeah, blenophobia. Remember that. Ablutophobia. Um, the fear of washing or bathing. We already know who you are. <laughs> Here's one I know you don't know. Aternophobia. Actually, has two different. It's two different fears. The fear of turnips, or the fear of attorneys. And I just made the whole thing up. I don't know what that's about. Um, but that's a lot of a lot of fear. Um, getting past dumb jokes. Um, we do struggle with fear, and and I'm pretty convinced that the strongest of people at times struggle with fear. We can have a fear of the future, the fear of rejection, fear of um, something in our past that might come up and, and destroy. I, you know, I, I, meet, I meet people uh, many times who are extremely strong, just driven, and nothing's going to get me down. And, and, but you get to the bottom of their life and you find out that their parents or a parent was an alcoholic. And, and the, the driving thing is the fear of them being the same way. You know, we, we, there's so many fears that we have. And the thing that is really interesting to me is that the Bible speaks about fear and says, fear not, 189 times. And Jesus said it over and over, do not be afraid, don't be afraid, fear not. And it, it really, if you think about it, you could get really bummed about that because you can't just read something that says don't be afraid and not be afraid. That doesn't really work. I mean, that's not an answer. And so God's gracious enough in his word that he gave us a lot of keys to dealing with this topic of fear. And I want to, I want to give you what I think today is one of the greatest pictures of what God wants to teach us because um, it, it, is, it is a tremendous picture of how we deal, deal with fear that we cannot control. We've tried but it doesn't work. And the theme verse that we have for this whole series is out of 2 Timothy 1.7. Uh, by the way, get your notes. You're going to want to write this stuff down. If you don't need it, you know somebody who does. And you could really help someone just sharing this. Or if you're like me, uh, I'm, I'm trying to practice what I'm preaching today. So uh, get your notes out. The 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Now I want you might want to circle that spirit of fear. Notice that there's a difference between fear of picking up an alligator 
and a spirit of fear. He's given us, he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, something that drives our life, something that is out of control in our life, but he's given us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. And if you are filled with fear, and many times we are, you need to understand that that is really the work of the enemy of your life trying to take away from you the truth that God has given you the spirit of power and love and a sound mind. So the story that I want to get to, uh, share with you today is found in the book of Judges, chapter 6. Um, one of my favorite Bible st uh, stories of, in the whole Bible um, is the story of Gideon. And I remember this story growing up in Sunday school class and, and you know, that, that board that they stuck all the felt things on and, you know, Gideon and all, all the stuff there. But um, I never really understood the power of what really happened until much later. So let me kind of get, let me give you a setting here. The Israelites are in the, the, the promised land, but like they did so many times before, they, the Bible says that they did evil in the sight of God. They just rejected God. They just, you know, they got busy in their life. They were doing this, that, and the other, and, you know, things were whatever. And God did not take first place in their life. He was way back in the, in the background, but he was, they were not serving him. They were not following him. The, ta the tabernacle was being dismissed. People didn't have God in their lives, in operation in their lives. And that might be a starting place for you today. You might find yourself exactly where the children of Israel were. And, and it says here, it actually talked about several things that they were missing. And I want you to pay attention to this. It says that God removed the blessing from Israel. And he said they didn't increase in land. So you could consider that maybe prosperity. Uh, they didn't uh, increase in power, in strength, in, in, in mental acuity. And they didn't increase by having children. This is really weird. But what that's talking about is our posterity. Those who come after us, it's not going too well. So this has been going on for a while. And, and the way that, that this came about and what was happening with the Israelites is there was this band of people called the Midianites. And they were just continually, for years, harassing the Israelites. They, they, the Midianites were kind of like ancient hell's angels. They, they just were nasty people. There wasn't really a leader, one leader doing the whole thing. It wasn't like a king of the Midianites. They were just in, in groups, and they would just come through one day and destroy a village and kill the people. Or, or right at harvest time, they would burn all the crops. They, just, they were just constantly messing with the Israelites. And, and so this is the setting. The Israelites are, are not serving God. Their lives are a mess. They live in total fear as a nation. God's not blessing them. Things aren't going well. And again, you, we could just stop right here and ask the question, okay, is that me? Is that where I am? I'm not serving God. I'm not getting his blessing. Everything around me is a disaster. It's all falling apart. That's where this nation was. 
So I'm going to begin reading this passage out of Judges chapter 6, verse 11. And it says this, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak and ophir that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Just understand the setting. Here's this young guy, Gideon, and he has taken all the wheat that's been harvested from the field, and instead of threshing it out in the open like you were supposed to, where the wind would come and blow the chaff away and the wheat would be left, he's in a wine press. He's in an enclosed area hiding because of the Midianites. This is just how they live, always having to do something different because of this fear of the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, I want you to take your pen, I want you to circle two phrases here. The angel said to Gideon, the Lord is with you, circle that, the Lord is with you, and then circle the next phrase, the words that he calls Gideon, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, and mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. Right now, I just want you to focus on these two things. It's the two things that God said to Gideon. The Lord is with you and my warrior. I just realized, I don't think I put that whole passage in, in the letter. So just write it down. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And then circle it. Here's the interesting thing. Gideon didn't hear one thing that the angel said about that. He didn't hear one thing. But what he did was express the two big fears of his life. So I want you to write this down. I know this is in your notes. Here's his first fear. He was afraid that God wouldn't be faithful. He was afraid that God wouldn't be faithful. His response to God when God said all of this, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. In other words, what he's saying, well, you can say the Lord is with us, but where is he? Where's he been? I haven't seen him. And some of you would say that again today yourself. You say, where's God? It, it, you know, you're afraid God's just not showing up. If he was with us, why has all this happened? Why did I lose my job? Why am I struggling with cancer? Why, why is... Why can't I be free of this mess I've been? Why? Where is God? It's not an unusual fear. It's one of the basic fears of our life. We're afraid God won't be faithful. Here's another fear that he had. He's afraid that he would not be good enough. Okay. Think about that. How many times have you said, you know what? I think God is good to a lot of people. 
but not me. Not me. I've screwed up too much. I, I have just, I messed up. I lost out. And for whatever reason, God has chosen me to ignore. He has chosen me to not intervene. It's like the most horrible fear. She would not be good enough for God. I can't, you know, I can't imagine it because I lived there for a while in my life. And what a horrible thing to think that almost everybody else on the planet would be loved by God except you. It's one of the greatest, you know, this series is called Fear is a Liar. It's one of the greatest lies ever told. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I could never do that. I could never speak in public. I got voted most likely to end up in prison in the high school book. But whatever, whatever it is that, you know, I'm a loser. You could just fill in the blank about I'm uh, all the reasons that we give. Here, here's, here's what, what um, <laughs> this is so funny. This is, this is what Gideon said in response to this. Lord Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? How can, how can you be talking to me about this? Here's what he says. I'm the weakest. Uh, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. There are 12 tribes of Israel. Actually, there are 13 tribes, but two of the tribes are a half tribe. They couldn't get the whole group in, right? They, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, there were these two tribes that could only be a half tribe. And of the two tribes, Manasseh was the smallest of the tribes. So of all the tribes in Israel, Manasseh was like the lowest one on the totem pole. And so Gideon starts with this. I'm from, don't you know where I'm from? I'm from Manasseh. I'm in, I'm, I'm in the bottom layer. Then my clan, my family, is like the lowest ones in Manasseh. It's like... We are the smallest, the poorest, the dumbest people in the lowest, smallest, dumbest tribe. And then he goes on. And I am the least in my tribe. He was saying, God, how could you use me? I am the third bag of all of Israel. There is nobody lower than me. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like everybody else but you? There's a question that I wrote in your notes that says this. I think it's a big question. What fear has kept you from becoming the person God created you to be? What fear has kept you from becoming the person God created you to be? Are you afraid God won't come through? You think you're not good enough? You think you have blown and God could never come through? Some of you you wanted to start a business and you, you just discounted yourself because you're, you don't think you're good enough. Some of you wanted to begin a relationship and you thought you weren't good enough or you were afraid because of other relationships that have fallen apart. Some of you have wanted to go to school and to college and, and you, you haven't because you think you're, you would fail or mess up or you wouldn't be good enough. Some of you are afraid to change your major in college 
Because you started with something. And somebody said, don't ever change your major. Hey, I changed my major five times. I don't know if you should refer to that. I don't know. such a good thing. Maybe it's a spiritual line you're afraid to cross because, hey, I've failed so many times in the past. Whatever it is, what fear has kept you from becoming the person God's created you to be? Out of this story, I want to give you, I call them three fearless principles. Three things that I want you to understand. There's not a person in the room who can't apply these things and begin to watch as God tears apart the fear factor in your life. And so I want you to see this. Number one, write this down. God's strength works through your weakness. His strength works through your weakness. Understand that His strength doesn't work through your strength. If you take the, the weakest part of you, the thing that, that just defines your failure, and I will tell you this, it will be that weakness that God will choose to use to change the world around you. This is such an interesting verse. Judges 6, verse 14 says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have. Is that in your notes? Circle that. Go in the strength you have. What strength do you have? It's not a lot. It's very little. Notice he didn't say, go in my strength. That would have been helpful. Go in the strength of God. Go in the strength of all the history of Israel. Go in, you know, he didn't say that. He says, go in your strength. And you're saying, I don't have any strength. Go. That's the point. It's, it's like, you know, think about standing in front of the Grand Canyon and looking at that massive canyon and saying, I am great. Really? Compared to the Grand Canyon? No, you're not great. God said, go in your weakness. That's what he's saying. He's not, he, he said, go in the strength you have. Gideon already declared, I have no strength. And that's what God wants to use. He says, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you the strength that he had? God is not impressed with your strength. That's it. That's, He's present with what he's about to do with your weakness. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 12. He said, this re for this reason, I'm happy when I have weaknesses, all kinds of troubles for Christ. Because when I am weak, then I am truly strong. See, Gideon is telling God how weak he is. And God's like, yeah, I, I know that. that. That's exactly right. And that's how I'm going to work. Now, you might be feeling pretty weak today. Maybe you're afraid. If you're honest, you say, God, I can't be strong. I'm so weak. I can't do anything. I, I, I'm stuck here. I never can get past this. I've been here so many times before. God would say to you right now, right now, I want you to hear this. God is saying, that's exactly where I want you to be. The greatest thing that you will do in your life will not come out of your strength. It will come out of your weakness. It is so much bigger than you. It is so much greater than you. And only when you are weak can you become strong. You take your failure, your fear, 
Everything that, that you think defines the mess that you're in, and God says, that's what I want. He doesn't want you to get all strong so he can use you. We have this, this picture of, about the Christian life that I think is so misleading that we think we have to achieve these levels of greatness for God, for God to do something great in our lives. A lot of things that we look at and we think are great are built on very feeble foundations. Let's get real here. I have seen so many people achieve such greatness in our eyes only to fall flat on their face because the foundation is weak. God would much rather build on our weakness, on our humility, so that the greatest thing that ever happened, we would be declaring, oh my gosh, I didn't do this. This was truly God. Can we understand that? And that's what Gideon needed to understand. God is saying, that's, you're right where I want you. Now I can begin to do something. Here's number two. The way forward is often backward. The way forward is often backward. If you read the story, you go on into chapter 7 of the book of Judges. Gideon finally gets the courage up to go fight against the Midians. And so he declares to the whole nation of Israel, hey, y'all come now because we're going to defeat the Midian, the Midianites. And, and, and so 32,000 people showed up to fight. Understand that there are 150,000 Midianites and their allies. 150,000 people, and we have 32,000 people. And, and Gideon gets up, gets up and he gives a great speech, and everybody's cheering and holding their swords, and yeah, we can do this, and you know, you do the math, and if everybody kills four and a half people, we're going to be fine. You know, and, and yeah, we can do that. And God says, Get in, there are too many people here. Way too many. This isn't going to work. And so Gideon has to get up and says, Okay, if anybody here is scared, you can leave. 22,000 people left. And so Gideon's standing here with 10,000 people. Now these people are nuts. They're crazy. We can do this. We only have to kill 15 people apiece, and we're going to do this. And we may die, but they're going to die. And, and so he gets them all you know, filled up again and charged up, and here we go. And God says, ah, too bad get in. This is going to be a mess. This isn't good. And he says, go, tell, go down to the creek, take a drink of water. So while they're down there, God says, Hey, if they are holding their sword and looking for the enemy while they're lapping up water, you pick them. And then everybody else has to leave. Sword is down to 300 people. And now we have a problem. I haven't done the math on this, but it's got to be like 40-some people we have to kill, right? It's just, you know, it's just, this is a problem. This is a mess. Have you ever gotten into a situation and you got all charged up about what God might do and you, you come up with your plan and you've got your ideas. Okay, God, I can do this. I know I can do it. Let's go. Let's go. And, and then you get pushed further back. You thought you could handle the situation and then something else happens. 
You thought you could grin and bear it and save your marriage, and then the next thing you know, something else goes south, and it's worse than ever. You thought you could save that child from this pain. It just went south. It just keeps going south. Here is something that we really need to understand. The way forward is often backward. Because remember, this is about what you can do. It's not about what you can figure out. It is, it's not going to be done because your fear has driven you to do things that you've never done before. And you can whip this thing. We, we can get there. No matter what it costs, we can do it. And God just says, hey, you don't have a chance. And something else happened. And you're sitting there scratching your head like, I didn't think it would get worse. <coughs> I'm sure Gideon was thinking that. You know, bad enough, 32,000 people, we've got to go do this. And now we're down to 300. Which leads us to the great moment. Number three, write it down. God works in unexpected ways. God works in unexpected ways. It's, it's a hilarious story. Um, God told Gideon to tell these 300 people, uh, put down your spirits. We're not going to need spirits. We're not going to need swords. Okay? And, and so he says, what I want you to do is I want you to go to your house, and I want you to get three things. I need you to go get a trumpet and a, a jug or, or a pot and uh, a torch. And I, can you imagine what's going through the minds of the 300 people? I thought we were going to go fight to the death. I thought we were going to go, you know, sneak up on them late at night and kill them when they sleep. Or I thought we were going to do this, and now, you know, we, we look like a marching band with pop or, or pops. And, you know, <laughs> well, you know what, what in the world is this? What is it that we're, what are we doing? And when you read the story, it's, it's like crazy. Because what they did was they lit their torches in the middle of the night. They put them in the pots, and then they got their trumpets, and they started blowing trumpets. I don't think it was like a, a good band sound. I think it was scary, freaky noise. And then they crashed the pots, and the, everything turned light. And the Midianites got so scared that they all killed themselves. 150,000 people. Who would have ever come up with that? In this, you begin to see what God wants to do with your fear. You begin to understand that God works through your weakness. And sometimes, you take steps backwards. But as you trust God, and you persevere, and you don't give up, and you don't let go, and you realize it's not what you can do, but it's what God can do, He shows up in an unexpected way. And when you sit back and you look at it, and you watch the return, you humbly have to admit, I never thought that could happen. In my wildest day, I never all that coming. The only way you really get to experience this is to start 
in the middle of all the chaos, having this moment of relationship with God. Uh, the Israelites didn't think about this because they were far from God. They weren't serving God. God was not a part of their life. But if we get that part right, and we begin to understand that it will never be good enough win the battle. But it's, in fact, the weakness that God can use. And you begin to understand that just because you see a setback today, or next week, or next month, it doesn't mean that it's over. In some ways, it means God's already working, because this is how He does it. Because in the end, He wants to do something unexpected, and you did not see it coming, and it wasn't according to your plan. And, and yes, it may change some things in your life, and it may... It, it may just totally blow apart everything you've built. And I've seen that happen. I've experienced that in my own life. But what he rebuilds is better than anything I would ever come up with or could have ever recreated. So I would say today, for those of you who are struggling with fear, those of you who are in a life situation where you just can't fix this. Take a look at this story. Read Judges chapter 6. Read Judges chapter 7. Take the notes. Take the reality, the truth of Scripture and find out what might need to change in how we're approaching this entire matter. Because doing what we've been doing just isn't working. And then, with a part of expectancy. Yeah, I think it's so amazing. Gideon, he said, okay, this is so important. And I just realized this. He reached a point where he said, okay, whatever happens, God, I'm with you. You know, we'll blow the horn, we'll smash the jars. Please show up. And he just went for it. Counseling is good. Counseling is essential. You know, all the things that we do to help us get this, those things. Don't, don't get me wrong in this. I'm not throwing all these things out because I think those are God-given helps. But at the end of the day, it's you recognizing that God will work through your weakness, and he does things backwards from the way you do it. And he does things in an unexpected way. And all he wants is you to say yes. And just go after it. And don't quit.